good evening. It's good to be back together tonight. Appreciate another opportunity that we have to worship. Appreciate all of those who have been working so hard here at the church building as we've been trying to meet the destruction that's been caused by the tornado about three weeks ago. Appreciate all of those who were involved in serving meals today. I know that was a, a big job and it got kind of chaotic at times, but uh, we appreciate you helping us out with that. If you have your Bibles, let's go to Romans, the fifth chapter. Romans chapter five, I appreciate JT reading the first five verses. Tonight we're going to be looking at the first 11 verses, really the first half of that chapter. Romans chapter five, verses one through 11. I don't know about you, but for me, the last three weeks have been a little bit busy. And I'm sure it's been the same for you in many different ways. I'm sure if we were to go down the line and each one of us were to talk about what we've been involved in over the last three weeks, we would talk about times where we were fatigued. We would talk about times where we got tired, things where we had a lot to do, where we had a lot to accomplish. And I think in the midst of all of that, sometimes we need a reminder. In the midst of all of that, sometimes we need to be reminded about God. We need to be reminded about our relationships with Him. And we need to be reminded about all that He has done for us. I don't know about you, but whenever I get busy, sometimes I don't think about that as much as I should. Sometimes when I get busy, when I have a lot of things to do, when there's a lot going on, one of the easiest things to cut out is prayer. One of the easiest things to cut out is Bible study or even church attendance, worship services. So what I want us to do tonight, what Romans chapter 5 verses 1 through 11 for me, it's a reminder. It's a reminder about who God is. It's a reminder about what He has done through Jesus. And specifically, it's a reminder about what He has done in our lives. So what I want us to do tonight's just going to be it's going to be a little bit different. It's not going to be super defined. We don't have a PowerPoint tonight, but I want us to walk through this text and to think about the blessings that are available to those who are in Jesus. In other words, the blessings that we're able to claim. Again, when we get busy, we might not think about some of these things. So we need to be reminded about God. We need to be reminded about our relationships with him and we need to be reminded about the blessings that He's extended to us. That's really what the book of Romans is all about. Romans is a beautiful book that has a beautiful setup. If you go to Romans chapter 1, Paul talks about the sinfulness of the Gentiles. Really, the first half of that chapter is a greeting, and then the last half of that chapter is the sinfulness of the Gentile world. Towards the end of the chapter, you find so many different sins that Paul lists that the Gentile world immersed themselves in. But then you go to Romans chapter 2, and Paul talks about the sinfulness of the Jews. No, the Jews didn't get let off the hook in this. Yes, we're talking about the sinfulness of the Gentile world, but Paul says, let me also talk about the sinfulness of the Jews. Let me talk about their hypocrisy. Let me talk about how they preach, but they don't practice. And so in Romans chapter 3, let's put both of them together. Romans 3 and verse 23 is a verse that perhaps you're familiar with. What does it say? All have sinned. And fallen short of the glory of God. Romans chapter 3 and verse 10 says, There is none that is righteous, no, not one. So Romans 1 is the sinfulness of the Gentiles. 
Romans 2 is the sinfulness of the Jews. And then Romans chapter 3, the majority of that chapter, is the sinfulness of the entire world. We're all under sin. We've all chosen to do things that have gone against God. Things that have broken His heart. We have chosen to rebel against God, to point our fingers at Him, and say, I'm going to do things my way. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But then when you come to the end of Romans 3, there's a turning point. Paul's talking about sin, sin, sin. Everybody who's on the earth, everybody who has ever lived is under sin. But, he goes on to talk about the righteousness of God. And how as Christians, we've had the opportunity to be justified not by works, not as a result of something that we've earned, not as a result of the Old Testament law, but the opportunity that we have to be justified by faith. To be justified by the belief, the trust that we place in Jesus and our obedience to Him. So Romans chapter 4 is an example of that. In Romans chapter 4, Paul goes all the way back to Genesis 12 and talks about Abraham. He talks about how Abraham was justified by faith as opposed to being justified by works. And so leading up to Romans chapter 5, Paul has been building this argument that says everyone has sinned and everyone should have to face the consequences for that. That's what we deserve. That's what we've earned for ourselves. But look at what God has done for us through Jesus. He's offered us just justification he's offered us redemption he's offered us forgiveness and we see that in the life of Abraham and so as we go into Romans chapter 5 in the first 11 verses of this chapter what Paul really does is he unravels what it looks like to be justified by faith all of the blessings that we have received as a result of being in Christ all the blessings that we have received as a result of being a part of his family And so let's read through this together and we'll spend some time discussing it. I hope that as we discuss this, we're not just looking at theological terms. We're not just giving definitions. We're not just talking about what things mean, but we're talking about what God has extended to us. We're talking about what defines our lives every single day that we live. Verse number one, therefore, since we have been justified by faith. You know what it means to be justified? The Greek word for justified comes from the same word for righteousness. The the word justified, it means to be made righteous. Perhaps a, a good way to think about it, a good way to remember what it means to be justified is that God looks at me just as if I'd never sinned. Have you ever had a person in your life where maybe you heard about them doing something wrong or you saw them doing something wrong and it tainted your view of them? And because you knew they did this one thing or they said this one thing, that just, it ruined how you looked at them. It ruined how you viewed them. What does it mean for us to be justified? It means that God looks at us just as if we've never sinned. God looks at us just as if we've never broken His heart, as if we've never went against His will for our lives. In other words, He has made us righteous. We're able to share in His righteousness whenever we've been justified, again, not by works, not as a result of our own merit, not as a result of perfectly keeping the Old Testament law, but being justified by faith. And so that's, that's Romans 1-4. through 4. 
We've been justified by faith. Here's an example of being justified by faith. So what do we have as a result of that? What are we able to claim since we have been justified by faith? He continues, since we've been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that tell me about who I used to be? What does that tell me about where I once was? If now I have peace with God, that means at one time I didn't have peace with God. We're going to see a little bit later in this text, at one time, we were enemies of God. When we were in sin, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. Whenever we were in sin, God wasn't indifferent towards us. We were His enemies. We stood directly opposed to Him. But since we've been justified by faith, now what do we have? We're at peace with God. We have a peaceful relationship with Him. He doesn't have any hard feelings towards us. And of course, we don't have any hard feelings towards Him. Since we've been justified by faith, God looks at us just as if we've never sinned. We're able to be at peace with God. Verse number 2, through Him. Through Jesus. One thing that we're going to keep coming back to in this text, and one thing that we're going to keep seeing, is that this is all about Jesus. How are we able to be justified by faith? How are we able to be at peace with God? How are we able to escape our sin, to escape the defilements of the world, and be in the right relationship with God? It all comes back to Jesus. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus, through Jesus, verse 2. We have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Access. I was walking, we went to the Music City Bowl just a few days ago, last Thursday, I think it was, which it actually didn't turn out too well for us Tennessee fans. Well, me and Michael McDaniels already talked about that. We, we can all discuss that another time. But as we were walking down Broadway in Nashville, there were lines of people coming out of those different restaurants. And there was a man standing at the door allowing them in one by one, giving them access into the restaurant. What have we been given access to? At one time, we were outside. But now that we've been justified by faith, we have access into, verse 2, God's grace. When we talk about God's grace, we're talking about unmerited favor. When we talk about God's grace, we're talking about Him extending His favor to us whenever we deserve His wrath. He gives us the exact opposite of what we deserve. It's not just that we get a little bit of grace and then we're stepping out of it. No, He says we have access into this grace in which we stand. Have you ever been to visit a waterfall before? You go to visit a waterfall. I, I, growing up, my, both of my grandfathers preached near Fall Creek Falls. Uh, near in, in East Tennessee, perhaps you've been there before, but they have a couple of different waterfalls. Have you ever stood underneath a waterfall before? If you stand underneath a waterfall, it's going to constantly be pouring out on top of your head. Now, you can step out from underneath the water, and, and chances are you're sitting here. You did. You left the waterfall at some point, but as long as you're standing underneath that stream, it's going to be pouring down on top of your head. And I think that's a good picture of what it looks like to stand in God's grace. Maybe sometimes we have a view of Christianity, we have a view of our relationships with God where, okay, I wake up in the morning and I'm in. But then I said something wrong in traffic, someone cut me off and I, I, I thought I had a bad thought about them and now I'm out. 
But then thank goodness I had the time to pray about it, right? I prayed about it, and so now I'm over here, and I'm back in. But then I got to work, and somebody got on my nerves, and, and I cut them down, and I said something bad to them, and, and now I'm out again. And then, whew, thank goodness I had time to pray about it. Jesus didn't come back yet, and I prayed about it, and now I'm back in. And we live this kind of relationship with God. Our spiritual life is constantly, I'm in and I'm out. I'm in and I'm out. That's not what we find in Scripture. Notice in Romans chapter 5, through Jesus, we've been given access into God's grace. And it's not that we're in and out a hundred different times a day, but we're constantly standing underneath it. It's like a waterfall that's constantly pouring out on our heads. This unmerited favor from God, the exact opposite of what we deserve, constantly pouring out on top of us. Isn't that beautiful? And can we take just a second to pause? Do we need this kind of reminder sometimes? Especially when life gets busy, as we look around our town, we look around our community, and we see all this destruction. Look at what God has offered to me. This isn't a fairy tale. This is what defines our lives. This is what defines who we are. Through Him, we have obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand, and we rejoice. Joy is different from happiness. Happiness is dependent on our circumstances. You're happy, someone puts a plate of fried chicken in front of me, I'm going to be happy. You take me in the car and drive me down to Disney World, I'm going to be happy. It's based on my circumstances. Joy is something that we're to have as Christians that is, it's not based on our circumstances. As Paul says in Philippians, the fourth chapter, remember we talked about this a couple weeks ago, rejoice in the Lord when? Always. And again, I will say, Rejoice, And so as a result of being justified by faith, Paul says we rejoice in hope. What is hope? Hope, you know, I mentioned in fried chicken here, I hope that I'm able to have fried chicken for lunch tomorrow. That's oftentimes how we use that word, right? We use it to talk about something that we want, something that we, I, I might not get it, but I'm hoping for it. And that's not the biblical definition for hope. The biblical definition for hope is not just what I want, but it's what I expect. It combines my desires with my knowledge. And so we're talking about hope of the glory of God. If you go over to Romans chapter 8, Paul says in, in verse number 18 that the sufferings of this life are not even worth being compared with the glory that's going to be revealed to us. One day when we step into eternity, we're going to experience the fullness of God's glory. We're going to experience His glory to the, to the fullest degree. And so as we live here on earth, we rejoice because we're looking forward to that. Regardless of what happens in our lives, we rejoice. We live our lives with joy. We rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I'll say rejoice because I want to one day live in that glory. And I know that one day I will. It's not just wishful thinking, but it's a confidence that we're able to have. A confidence that causes us to live with hope every day that we live. Now Paul talks about rejoicing in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice looking forward to heaven. But then notice in verse number, number 3, he takes a very different direction in his conversation. He says, we rejoice in hope of the glory of God, but not only that, we also rejoice in our sufferings. Wow, that sounds like an oxymoron, doesn't it? 
Oh, I, I can get rejoicing for heaven. I'm looking forward to heaven, aren't you? And that's something that causes us to live with joy every single day of our lives. But hold on, Paul. You say that we're going to rejoice in our sufferings? We're going to rejoice whenever we experience such great difficulty in life? And Paul says we do. And he says, let me tell you why. And it has to do with who we are. It has to do with our character. He says we rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces endurance. James says the same thing in James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, Count it all joy, my brethren, when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Endurance. The same word. And he says, You let that endurance have its perfect work, and you'll become perfect, mature, complete, and lacking in nothing. We rejoice in our sufferings. Because suffering produces endurance. When we go through difficulties in life, it gives us the ability to push forward. It gives us the ability to endure. That The Greek word for endurance is being able to stand underneath the weight of something. Well, you have to have weight to stand underneath if you're going to endure. So when we suffer, we gain the ability to stand underneath the weight of the difficulties of life. And then, But notice it doesn't stop there. He says that in verse number 4, Suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character. Whenever I go through suffering, I gain endurance. Whenever I gain endurance, that's going to form my character. And now have we made full circle? Verse 4, character produces hope. Well, we saw hope just a, min a minute ago. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And we rejoice in our sufferings because suffering produces character, and character produces hope. Whether our circumstances are good or not, we rejoice because of hope. We rejoice because of the eager expectation that we have for an eternity with God, for His promises to be fulfilled, knowing that He's going to be faithful to them. He says, verse number 5, hope doesn't put to shame. Why? Because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. When you think about the Trinity, the God who is three in one and one in three. You have the Father, the Son, and the Spirit. Well, we know a lot about the Father. We know a lot about the Son. Do we know a lot about the Spirit? Here we find one of the roles, one of the functions of the Spirit. Paul says that the Spirit pours God's love into our hearts. It's like you take a glass and you pour water into that glass and the glass fills up with water, Paul says that the Holy Spirit fills us up with the love of God. And the love of God fills us. It fills our hearts. It fills our minds so that we can share that with the people who we come into contact with on a daily basis. Now, as we go into verse number 6, we said that this is all about Jesus, didn't we? How, so we've been justified by faith. We have peace with God. We have access by faith into God's grace. We rejoice in hope. We rejoice in our sufferings. God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. And notice how Paul ties this back into Jesus. Verse 6, For while we were still weak, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. At one time we were helpless. When I think about being helpless, I picture a little baby in a crib. A baby can't do anything for itself. It can't feed itself. It can't change itself. It has to be completely taken care of. He's, Paul says one time we were in a helpless situation. 
We were in a situation that we couldn't get ourselves out of. We had thrown ourselves down into a hole that we couldn't climb out of ourselves. And so what happened? We were helpless. We were weak. But at the perfect time, Jesus died for people who are pretty moral. Jesus died for people who are pretty okay. Is that what the text says? Christ died for the ungodly. So moving into verse 7, Paul says, let's, let's think about what that really means. Let's think about what it really means to die for the ungodly. He says, one will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, one would dare even to die. Who would you die for? Can you count the number on your fingers? You might have to add your toes, maybe some of you. Chances are, You'd be willing to die for a family member, maybe your spouse, a child. But would you be willing to die for the person who's driving by on the street right there? Would you be willing to die for the person who you passed on the road just a minute ago? But then let's take that another step. Would you be willing to die for a person who's committed very serious crimes? A person who's not very moral? A person who's done bad things? Would you be willing to die for the people who were going into the different houses that had fallen from Alabama and taking stuff? Would you be willing to lay, lay your life down for them? Paul says, think about it. One will scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person you might die. But what did Jesus do? Verse 8, God shows His own love for us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus didn't die for people who deserved it. Jesus didn't die for people who had it all together. Jesus didn't die for people who said every good thing and did every good thing. Paul says that Christ died for sinners. And that shows us the love of God. You know John 3.16, don't you? God so loved the world that He what? He gave his only begotten Son, that whosoever shall believe in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. You find that message again here. You want to see how much God loves you? Even though you're a sinner? Even though you're ungodly? Even though you've made mistakes? Even though you have things that you regret and maybe you even carry around guilt about some of the decisions that you've made? You want to see how God feels about you? You want to see how much He loves you? Look at Jesus extended on the cross. God demonstrates His love for us even though we're sinners in the fact that Christ died for us. It's all about Jesus. It's all about His death, burial, and resurrection. So verse 9, Since therefore we've been justified by His blood, because of the blood of Jesus, God looks at us just as if we've never sinned. Much more we shall be saved by Him from the wrath of God. Now there's what we deserve. We've been talking about receiving what we don't deserve. The grace of God. Favor bestowed when what? Wrath is owed. We don't deserve God's grace. What we do deserve is God's wrath. You and I deserve an eternity separated from God. You and I deserve nothing short of an eternity in the fires of hell. But because of Jesus, because of His death, because He died for the ungodly, we've been saved from the wrath of God. We've been snatched out of the fire. We have been saved from, verse 10, for if while we were enemies, 
At one time, we were enemies of God. But He saved us from that. He snatched us from the fire, saved us from His wrath. So if, if we, he says, verse 10, if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God, what does it mean, let's pause right there, what does it mean to be reconciled? I think about a high school relationship, that on-again, off-again relationship, you know what I'm talking about? Where you have two people and they date for a couple months and they break up for a couple months. Whenever they get back together, what do you call that? Well, you could call it reconciling. They're coming back together in that relationship. So at one time, when we were born into this world, we were born sinless. We were born in the right relationship with God. Who broke that relationship? Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, your sins have made a separation between you and your God. We're the ones who broke our relationships with God. But what has God done? He's reconciled. That relationship. Verse 10, For while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God. We've been brought back into relationship with Him. How? Oh, we earned it. We're, we've been reconciled to God because we've done all the good things on the checklist. We, we've said good things. We've done good things. And now have been reconciled to God. Now Paul says we've been reconciled to God by the death of His Son. And this is verse 10. Much more, now that we are reconciled, we shall be saved by His life. Verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. We're not going to cover the rest of this chapter tonight. I don't think we have the time to look at verses 12 through 21, but I want to challenge you to read through that tonight or read through that sometime this week. It's a really beautiful section of Scripture where Adam is contrasted with Jesus. Sin is contrasted with justification. How the one act of Adam has spread sin through the world, but the one act of righteousness from Jesus has spread justification throughout the world. And Paul talks about which side we fall under there. Again, just take a moment and think about this is who we are. Even when we're busy, even when there's a lot to do and there's work on every hand, this is something that we need to be reminded of. We need to be reminded of our relationships with God. We need to be reminded of what He's done for us. We need to be reminded of what is available to us and what we live in every single day as followers of Jesus. Again, looking through this text, we have been justified. We have peace with God. We've obtained access by faith into God's grace. We rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We rejoice in our sufferings. We have hope because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. While we were weak and helpless at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. We probably wouldn't die for just a handful of people. Jesus died for sinners. And we see demonstrated so powerfully God's love in that. Verse 9, we've been justified by His blood. We've been saved from the wrath of God. At one time we were enemies of God, but now we've been reconciled in that relationship. We've been saved by Jesus' life. We rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus because it's through Him that we have received reconciliation. When you read through that text, do those different descriptors, do those different adjectives define your life? 
Are you living in view of those things? Are you living in view of all of these blessings that God has not just offered to us, but the blessings that God has poured out to us through His Son, Jesus Christ? Maybe you haven't been appreciating that like you should. Maybe you haven't been living in that like you should. We'd love to make that right tonight. You have an opportunity when we stand and sing in just a couple of minutes to have your brothers and sisters pray for you. To reignite the fire. To think again about those blessings and to rededicate yourself to them. Maybe tonight you're sitting outside of Christ. If you go over just one more chapter, Paul tells us how we get into Christ. He says in Romans 6 and verse number 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into His death? Hold on just a second. How do you get into Christ? If I'm standing outside of Jesus, if I don't have a relationship with Him, how do I get into Christ? Do you not know that all of you who were baptized into Christ were baptized into His death. Maybe you've never made that decision. Maybe you'd like to study and talk about that decision. We'd love to assist you in that as well as together we stand and sing as Benny leads us.